Well, good morning, everyone. I, I know that some of you right now are leaning over to the person beside you and go, man, they will just give that mic to anybody up there, won't they? What's going on? Uh, if you're new here, uh, my name is Jeff Sutton, and I'm the creative arts pastor, among other things, around here. And uh, I'm, most often I'm up here maybe doing some announcements or reading some scripture, but uh, usually leading worship. And so today I get a chance to spend some time uh, kind of walking through God's word with you. I'm really excited. But I want to start kind of with, uh, you know, when you, when you do these sort of things, usually in meetings they have these tell three things about yourself sort of deal. So I want you guys to get to know me a little bit by understanding three things about me. Number one, I am a Colts fan, right? Yeah, that's right. Which means my two favorite teams on the planet are the Indianapolis Colts and anybody who's playing the Patriots. That's right. We'll let the Bears slide. All right. Secondly, I love the mountains. I just got back from an awesome, like, 20th anniversary trip with my wife. Unbelievable cruise. Did all this uh, stuff on the beach, and it was just an amazing trip. However, if you give me anywhere in the world I can be, give me a backpack in the mountains, and I'm good. Like, that's just kind of who I am. That's how I escape. And the reason I need an escape, like going to a Colts game or going to the mountains, is because, number three, I have a very addictive personality, meaning that I get addicted to things easily, and the thing that I am most addicted to right now is my phone. Hello, amen, anyone? Yeah? And you get addicted to all the stuff going on on your phone, whether it's Twitter or whatever, that Facebook scroll, you know, the lonely Facebook scroll, I'm supposed to be doing something important right now, that scroll, and you've got all the cat videos that come past, and then you've got all the kids from the people you knew 20 years ago in high school but have never talked to, but now you know what their kid looks like, that sort of thing. And then you have all these like sayings and advice pieces that are usually like this giant blue background or pink background with big words that somebody's typed in and this has changed my life today through Facebook. Okay, so I want to give you some of my favorites that I've found more recently, this advice, this life-changing stuff that people are scrolling through Facebook or giving me to scroll through Facebook with. And so the first one is from a guy named Stephen Colbert who says this, folks, I don't trust children. They're here to replace us, right? Okay, I suppose there's some wisdom in that. What about Will Ferrell who says this, before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with really slow internet so that you can see who they really are. Oh, yeah, I know how that is. How about this one from Ellen DeGeneres? It says, accept who you are unless you're a serial killer. All right, some people try to be a little more serious and actually helpful in your walk, and so Conan O'Brien says, if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. Okay, there may even be a little biblical truth somewhere in there. I don't know. We'll see. How about this one from Jerry Seinfeld that says, sometimes the road less traveled is less traveled for a reason, or however it is that he talks. <laughs> All right. And this last one, I can't really do the voice for, I couldn't do that one for that matter, but uh, if you know who Stephen Wright is, one of my favorite guys ever, if you can do his voice in your head, if you don't know who he is, that's okay, I just want you to silently read this and let it soak in, but if you know who Stephen Wright is, in your best Stephen Wright voice in your head, read this to yourself. <laughs> right? If at first you don't succeed, skydiving is definitely not the sport for you. Okay, so we're having a little fun with this this morning, but the reality is there is no shortage of people trying to give well-meaning advice to us, right? And most of the time, it tends to sound right or good or helpful. It helps us feel better. It helps us to, inspires us to pull us ourselves up by the bootstraps, whatever that exactly means, and, and keep plugging away, right? But what if the advice could actually be wrong? 
Even worse, what if the advice is supposed to be a saying from the Bible and it could actually be wrong? What if it's not what the Bible says at all? Well, that could become downright dangerous. So let me give you an example of some of the kinds of statements that we're talking about. And if you've heard one of these statements or believe one of these statements, awesome. Just raise your hand. We want to kind of get a, a gauge of where we are in the room. So number one, who has heard God helps those who help themselves, right? Okay, pretty standard thing that I've heard a lot of times. And maybe there's some truth there. We have a certain responsibility. God doesn't want us to be lazy, right? Okay, what about number two? God just wants me to be happy, right? I mean, that stands to reason. Why would God want us to be angry or sad all the time? Okay, cool. What about this one? Only God can judge me. I've heard that a few times. Okay, God is the ultimate judge. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, this one's really weird to me. I'm not quite sure what this advice is supposed to do for us, but when God closes a door, he opens a window, right? That sounds like terrible advice or if you're in the wrong state of mind and work on, say, the 10th floor, for instance. I, I don't know what they're trying to do with that, but the reality is that sayings like these could be from the Bible, but we're not going to leave that to chance during this series. During this series, we want to test and maybe even debunk some of these sayings, but more importantly, we want you to understand, to learn how to test these sort of things yourself against the Bible. And so we're going to give you some simple tools. Now, there's all kinds of ways, all kinds of methods to study the Bible, and there's some great ones out there. We're going to give you three very simple ones to get you started, and it's what we'll use every single week as we go through this. So the tools we're going to use are these. One is context, right? You guys have heard of the word context. You know, context is king, people like to say. The point is this, who and what is actually being addressed in this moment, okay? Pretty straightforward. We'll get to that in a second. The second one we're going to use is biblical theology. Now, the definition I'm going to give you is going to confuse you even more for a second, but we'll come back, I promise. It's reading the Bible through the Bible. Awesome, Jeff. You're crazy. Okay, the third one is... Christ lens. Now, Christ lens, we've actually touched on whether we've called it that before or not in a few series back when we talked about kind of that timeline of the story of God and how everything before Jesus points to him and everything after Jesus points back to him. And so Christ lens is really about how does this statement point to Jesus or help us learn something about Jesus. And so those are the three tests or tools that we're going to use during this entire series. So are you ready? Let's start with the big one. Here we go. Ready? How many of you have heard or believe God won't give you more than you can handle? Okay? That sounds good, right? That means that in this life, God has equipped you with all that you need to take on anything. It's empowering. It's inspiring. It's kind of terrifying, right? I mean, it becomes maddening. This well-meant statement that maybe your grandma or your closest friend encourages you with ends up totally crushing you. Because you start to think that maybe something's wrong with us. Maybe God made a mistake because I can't handle this, God. Wow, he's yelling. That got real really fast. Okay, I get it. Let's look at these tools and try to figure this out. So remember, we're going to go, by the way, I think there is a verse that this originates in. If you want to turn ahead of time and be ready, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 is what we're going to hit in a second. But remember, a well-meant encouragement, if false, has the potential to be dangerous. So let's use this tool starting with context, to test this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. 
Maybe that's the window verse. I'm not sure. But the whole point is, this sounds a little bit like that saying, right? Maybe this is actually true. I mean, the problem here is we have to go into context. We have to figure out who Paul, who's writing this, is speaking to and what he's speaking about. So we go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, and we actually realize that Paul is talking to the Corinthians about this whole list of things that their ancestors had done that pulled them away because of their temptation and pulled them away from the faith. And so when you start at verse 10 and you begin reading, you start hearing all these wild stories about how they gave into, for instance, sexual immorality. And because of that, 23,000 people died in one day where they were tempted to test Jesus and they were eaten by snakes. And there's just these fantastic, amazing stories of how ancestors had been tempted away from the faith. So he leads up with all of that. And then verse 11 says this. This is right before what we just read, by the way. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Then he goes to the verse that we just read, which encourages them not to give in because God always gives us a way out of temptation so that we can endure it. That's encouraging. I love that verse. But here's the thing. Not once in there does it talk about anything other than temptation. It doesn't talk about when life gets hard or when, you know, someone close to you passes away and you just can't deal with it or there's money problems. None of that's in there. But you say to me, Jeff, well, the point, though, Jeff, if you were a real Bible scholar, what you'd realize is that sometimes we find something in uh, the text that helps us understand something about God that we can then apply elsewhere because now it's part of his nature, and we understand that that's God's nature, so now we can apply it to the way that he interacts with us over here. Touche. That can happen, honestly, right? So I'm going to press pause on that for a second. Let's say in context, although it seems to maybe point away from that being true, it's not the mic drop moment. It doesn't seal the deal. And so let's go on to the confusing one at first, reading the Bible through the Bible. So what in the world does that mean? Well, the best way I know to explain that is uh, through the nerdiness of myself. I love Star Wars. How many people in here are Star Wars nerds, all right? Wow, that's less than I hoped, so let me ask this question. How many of you are Trekkies? All right, I think there's still a prayer service going on in the fellowship hall from first service. You guys can join in there later. It'll be fine. We'll work you through it. But if you are a Star Wars fan, you know what happened just a few months ago when Episode 8 came out, right? By the way, just so you know, I liked Episode 8. But most true Star Wars fans freaked out. They freaked out. You know why they freaked out? Because they said, that didn't follow the canon of Star Wars. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Jedi powers don't work that way, and, and they can't really talk to each other like that. We've seen it. When you look at the canon of Star Wars, it doesn't make sense. Nerds. <laughs> I'm one of them. It's okay. That's what we're actually going to do here. We're going to look. In that case, they're looking at the other seven movies that we know and love most of, and they were going, when you look at all that stuff, it doesn't make sense what's happening. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the entire Bible. Of course, we're not going to read through all of it today, but we're going to look kind of in that mindset of what's happening throughout the Bible, and does that then jive with what is actually God's nature? So I'm going to ask you, is there anywhere else in the Bible that you think God has given someone more than they can handle? Some of you in the room are kind of scanning your brains right now. You're probably coming up with some of these names like Moses Moses, who sat before God and said, hey, I can't even speak so good, and you want me to be the guy who leads your entire nation of Israel out of slavery? 
You got people like Gideon who's asked to take on army, an army of thousands upon thousands with 300 little men. You got Esther who put her life on the line even though the Bible says she was overwhelmed with fear. You got David who has numerous unbelievable victories starting with Goliath. And yet he writes these words in Psalm 69 verses 1 through 4. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. There are enemies without cause who seek to destroy me. And I'm forced to restore what I did not steal. All these people that we've just listed off in the Bible have places where they break down and say, I can't do this. Not without you. Not without you. And I challenge you to keep on searching. I don't have time to do that today. But I challenge you to keep on searching. What I think you'll start to realize is that it's actually maybe impossible to find a main character in the Bible who wasn't allowed to have more than they could handle. That's kind of the point. Isn't it? So we have the context, which is eh, debatable. We have biblical theology that's really leaning in. Let's, let's look at the Christ lens and kind of seal this up and make our decision. You see, the reality is I think this is pretty straightforward as well. When we look into the verse that's coming up in just a second, Mark 14, 33, you can turn there if you like. Even Jesus himself had one of these moments. Just before he's captured and beaten and crucified and crushed literally under the weight of our sin and the sin of the world as he prepares to pray, accounts say while he prayed that his sweat was like drops of blood, what happens in Mark 14, 33 says, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Even Jesus was given more than he could handle without the Father. And so even though our context leaves some room for discussion, Reading the Bible through the Bible or biblical theology shows us the opposite is true. Reading the Bible through the Christ lens shows that the opposite is true. What we actually find out is that sometimes God purposely allows more than you can handle. Did you hear that? It just got weird. Some of us in the room have this sick feeling in our stomach. We didn't want to hear that. That truth isn't fun. Let me say it again. Sometimes God purposely allows more than you can handle. If that's where we're at, if we've got that sick feeling in our stomach, if we're not wanting to hear that, it makes us automatically ask this simple, honest, and troubling question. Why? Why? You know, that's the question we're not supposed to ask God, right? Because we're not supposed to question God and all this stuff, and he's unknowable on some levels. Sometimes they're supposed to be a mystery. But let me tell you, in this particular case, I think he's very clear as to why. I mean, but why would he, why would God let us go through the stress, through the frustration, the pain, the loss, the heartache, a whole list of byproducts that 
happen when he allows this to happen. By the way, can I just point out that I'm saying that he allows this to happen as much as possible? It's a whole other series to go down this road where he causes stuff, or if it just accidentally happens, or if it's the world, there's, you know, the doctrine of original sin and free will and all the stuff that comes with that. So for today, suffice to say, we're just going to say that God at least allows things to happen that we can't handle on our own. But why would he at least allow more than we can handle? It's actually very simple. It's because God wants us to learn to call on him. He wants us to learn to call on him for two reasons. And the first one is that God wants us to depend on his presence. God wants to be with us. The name Emmanuel literally means God with us. He wants relationship. He wants to share his love with us. And he knows that we're wired the same way. How does he know that? Because he wired us. Hello. He knows that we were created that way. He knows what's best for us. As early as Genesis, the Bible says that God knew it was not good for, be, for man to be alone. He created us to need one another. Most importantly, he created us to need God. The problem is we don't always get that, right? When life's going good, especially when things are going really good, we fall into this false kind of security, and we think that we're all that, and maybe we can handle life on our own, and maybe that we do actually have everything under control, and it's only when we begin to become overwhelmed with life, often to the point we can no longer do it on our own, that we realize we were never meant to do it alone. I lost my father a, a few years back and love him, great man of God. Uh, got some cool stories about him, but the reality is he had some interesting parental techniques. Uh, I still remember when I was a kid, we used to go to this store called Fleet Supply. I don't think they even had it around here. It got bought out by Big R, but it's similar to like Rural King farm and fleet, that sort of a store. And we'd go there all the time, and as a little kid, I knew that way back in the corner, there was actually some great toys. It was a great store. There was some, you know, some farm machinery toys, and there was little horses, and sometimes, if you're lucky, there might even be like some G.I. Joe back there. And it was really cool, but the, the, the thing that stunk is that most of the time, my dad was going there because he needed a part for the tractor, or he needed a piece for the fence, or he, you know, he's doing all this stuff that was super boring to like a three, four, five-year-old, right? And he'd walk in and he'd go, hey, son, I'm sorry. Like, hey, we're in a hurry. We're not going to have time to go mess around with the toys and stuff. Could you come and, and help me? I need to go get this thing. And so here I am, little four-year-old boy, whatever, walking along with dad. He goes back and he leans down. I, I specifically remember this. He was looking at a salt block for cows to lick on. If you're a farmer, you get that. The rest of you are going, what? Anyway, but he's staring at this thing. He's kind of reading the directions. And here I am, little four-year-old, maybe five-year-old Jeff. And I start to ease my way back. I started thinking, I can get away with this. And I start to look, and he's, he's way into those directions, and I start to ease my way around the corner. He's not looking. I can do this. And I start to walk my way down the store, and I start to go faster and faster, and I finally I run, and I get all the way back there, and there's toys galore. It's amazing. There's horses, and there's tractors, and there's G.I. Joe right there it is, and there's a new figure. I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm having so much fun. And a couple minutes in, I go, oh, how am I going to buy this? Wait a second. I don't see dad. How am I going to get home? Huh. If I don't get home, how am I ever going to eat again? How, how am I going to sleep? How am I going to get to school? I, I, I think I need my dad. And I started to walk around. Now, I don't know this for sure. But knowing how my dad, the nature of my dad, is not only did he probably know what was going on and kind of follow me to teach me a lesson, but he was hiding behind the thing, not letting me find him until the point came where I burst into tears and said, Help, dad! 
I realized that I actually was supposed to need him. The more I think about it, the more I believe that the first genuine, honest word that any of us ever say to God is some form of help. Save me. I can't do this on my own. Please. I mean, the world's most famous prayer, say it with me if you know it, God, if you just get me out of this, I promise I will never do blank again. I will never drink again. I will never cheat again. I will never waste my money again. I will never eat White Castle again. But these moments are all over the Bible. When Jonah, a man of God who ran away from God and God's plan on a much grander scale than I ever did in that little farm store, and he decided to do things his own way, and he got swallowed by a giant fish, and surely he was about to die. The Bible account says this in Jonah 2. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress... I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Listen to that again. Not in my excitement, not in my free time, not from my castle on the hill. Jonah says, in my distress. This is where most of us realize that we need God. And what happens when we call on him? Well, David actually says it this way in Psalm 145, verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. This is the same guy, by the way, that wrote Psalm 69 earlier and was freaking out and calling on him. And I don't know what to do. This is what happens when you call him. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. It's no accident that there are tons of accounts of the greatest men and women of the Bible crying out for help. He wanted them to learn to call on him and depend on his presence. It's no accident that Jesus reminds us in his example of how to pray that God walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death because God knows that those moments will definitely come. Overwhelming valley of the shadow of death kind of moments. And God knows that although we can experience him on the mountaintop for sure, it is far more likely and far more often that we experience him in the valley where there is no greater comforter no greater love, no greater strength than God himself. And it's how we were built, to need him alongside of us. And so God wants us to learn to call on him so we can depend on his presence. And the second reason he wants us to learn to call on him is because God wants us to experience his power. Has anyone in this room ever experienced God's power before? I mean, remember earlier when we talked about the danger of the statement that God doesn't give you more than you can handle? Remember that? I mean, it makes us feel inferior. It makes us feel terribly flawed. It makes us incapable of handling life on our own. Yep. I mean, that's exactly right. 
because we weren't built to do life on our power. We were built to do life through the power of God himself. And Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians. We're going to go there in just a second. So if you've got your Bible, you can open to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. But he sets this whole thing up talking about this thing called his, the thorn in his flesh. It's something that we don't know exactly what it is, but it's something that's nagging him, something he can't get by. And he begs and he begs and he says, God, please take this away from me. I can't handle this on my own. I can't do it. Please take this away. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes this. But he said to me, this is the words of God, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. This is Paul now. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me say that again. When I am weak then I am strong. He wants us to learn to call on him so that we can experience his power. We weren't created to handle all the hardships of life because God wants us to experience the overwhelming joy and healing and awe of his power. Can you imagine how underwhelming life would be if we just did it on our power? Instead, in our weakness, he's able to step in with his power. It's the same power that God spoke the earth into motion with. It's the same power that parted the Red Sea. It's the same power that God shut the mouths of the lions in the lion's den for Daniel. It's the same power that let Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of the fiery furnace unscathed. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's the power that he wants to show in us. I don't know how. I don't know why, but I ain't arguing. This is unbelievable stuff, and yet there's nothing more true that God's power is perfected in our weakness. And I don't think it just happened in Bible times. Again, I'm not here to argue over whether it looks like some guy in a shiny suit smacking you in the head and you fall over, or whether it looks like a bunch of family and friends gathered hands clasped around a hospital bed praying. But I believe there are people that no longer have cancer because of the power of God. I believe there are people who are no longer enslaved to their addictions because of the power of God. And I believe there are people in this room who would not be alive today if not for the power of God. And so no matter how grandiose or how small, God wants us to call on him so we can experience his power. Let's move to a time of response. One of my favorite stories from my ministry um, is about a friend of mine I met in college named Todd. Todd was this kid that grew up in a Christian home and he um, he kind of knew all the Jesus stuff. He actually even tried to follow it all through high school. His parents were great Christian people and all this stuff. And uh, then he went to college and figured something out. He figured out that mommy and daddy weren't there. He did all the stuff you expect at college and more. 
He decided it was time to start drinking. And, all, you know, and this is a kid, by the way, who had a giant scholarship. He was basically paid to go to school, had a presidential scholarship, and uh, you know, started to throw that away, started to party, started to drink, started getting drugs, starting to do the wrong thing, became a DJ, started a business, ended up going and touring around with these huge bands doing light shows and then imagine the scene, the parties, the grossness, the, just all that went with it. And Todd had knew what he was taught when he was younger and that this was not it. And so he tried several times. He kind of went, man, this is the wrong path. I can't be doing this. And he, and he kept on trying to get out of it. He tried to stop drinking. He tried to stop hanging out with those bad friends. He tried to get back on track into school and all that stuff. But the reality is he was flunking out. He had thousands and thousands of dollars of debt because of this business he started and all the money he'd squandered at college. And his friend asked him to this New Year's Eve party, and he knew he shouldn't go, but hey, it's New Year's Eve. So he went to this party, and the first thing in the door, somebody handed him something he'd never taken before, and he popped it in his mouth, and little do you know, just a little bit longer beyond that, he was lost. He tells me in this, he was in this crazy world where he actually could not speak. He could only laugh for two hours. His only language was laughter. The people talking to him and the people he was talking to just laughing. Two hours. His friends confirmed it. And he walked around the house. He was trying to, he was freaking out. This is not anything he'd ever experienced before. He didn't know what to do, so he tries to find his way out of the house. And for four hours, he wandered around a house, which was a huge house with four very you know, out in the open doors. He couldn't find his way out of the house because he was so messed up. In the meantime, he walked through rooms and saw things. He said, like, a clock jumped off the wall and went, and did, and just weird stuff. Finally, for some, by the grace of God, he found the door and he walked outside two miles from his house, somehow a two-mile walk in a direction, who, how he got there, who knows, but Todd was taking care of him, and he's walking, he's walking through a parking lot, and this kind of matrix moment, he says, happens, and he's in outer space, and he's all over the place, and all this stuff's happening. He doesn't know what's going on, and the last thing he can remember is somehow laying in his bed, looking up at the ceiling and watching what people who are on drugs see, little elephants or whatever, and finally, finally, finally falling asleep. Next morning, he tells me he woke up, he was at his wit's end. He couldn't do it anymore. He called a friend of his and started to talk to him. And he said one word when, he, when his friend answered the phone. He said, help! I can't do this on my own. And his friend said, I, I don't know if you know this, but I've been praying for you for three years since you left for college. I can tell you can help you. And on the floor of that basement, Todd began to trade the mess for the presence of God, for the power of God. And he went home and he got welcomed by this awesome church around him and they loved on him and they, they helped him understand that he actually loved doing student ministry and he got involved with, with that and just started to see the power of God in that and went on to school. You know why this is my favorite, favorite story? He ain't figured it out yet. It ain't some other guy. Let me introduce myself again. My name is Jeffrey Todd Sutton. And from that idiot sitting on the floor of his basement in Muncie, Indiana, 
finally saying, help, I need your presence, I need your power. Even though I didn't know what I was saying, God said, I got you. And he began to walk with me. And somehow, through the presence and the power of God, I've got to see hundreds and hundreds of students let the power of God move in them. I've got to see thousands of people worship and the power of God flow through a room like you wouldn't believe. And I'm standing here today because I said, help, I need the presence and I need the power of God. I don't know where you stand today, but statistics tell us that you're either right in the middle of something that you can't handle by yourself. You just came out of something you couldn't handle by yourself, or you're about to go into something you can't handle by yourself. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's work, if it's financial trouble, if it's broken relationship, if it's health issues, if it's heartbreaking loss. I, I don't know. But here's the thing. I need you to understand this for real. God will sometimes allow more than you can handle. And he doesn't do it to crush you, not to finish you off, not to be downright mean. He allows it so he can draw you into his presence. He allows it so he can let you experience his power. And so maybe your point of action today is to actually, genuinely, for the first time, say to God, help. I need your presence. Let me tell you something. You won't be the first. It may not even be your first time saying that. But you will join a long line of imperfect, often weak people who get to experience the presence of God and get to experience the power of God. And can I tell you something? It's the same power that David and Gideon and Moses and Esther and Todd get to experience. And that can start right here and now. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you that uh, you don't often ask us what needs to come next because you already know. You know that sometimes it takes the hardships for us to realize that you're there and you're begging to walk with us, you're begging to let your power flow through us and yet for some reason we keep running the other way Father would you draw us in would you let us seek your face, would you let us turn it over to you that we may be more like you even in this moment Father if there's somebody who is here for the first time or if there's somebody who's here for the 50th time that needs to cry help to you, Father would you allow that to happen it's in your name I pray. Amen. Guys, what's about to happen is this thing we call response time around here. And it's, it's kind of weird to some if you're new, but I want you to understand what's going to happen. There's benches across the front here. It's hard to see because they're black in a dark room. But it's a chance for you, if that's you, if you're going, I need help. 
It's a chance for you to come and kneel and ask for that help. If maybe it's not your first time, but it's your 50th time, it's the place for you to come and say, God, I need help. Let me turn this over to you to lay it down and not pick it back up when I go back to my seat. It's a place where you can maybe be that person that was praying for three years for someone who needs to ask God to be their power and their presence. And maybe you ask God, how can I be part of that, that happening? That's what these benches are for. Also, all around the room, there's these communion tables where you see some bread and juice. And again, for those of us who believe Jesus Christ is our Savior, we've been baptized into him and we want to celebrate him. We have those same ups and downs. We need God's presence and power in the small and the big things. And this reminds us of exactly what he did for us on the cross through the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body. So I encourage you to go to one of those tables, whether it's individually with your family, however you want to do it, just take this moment with Jesus and thank him for that, for his time on the cross and for raising again with his power to his kingdom. And usually what's the last thing we say in this room is there are these boxes around the room and if you want to kind of take a next step or you want to give back to what God is doing, you can do that in those boxes. And that's still true. If you're wanting to give because we believe that God calls us to give back from not only our talents but of our treasures and um, there's a chance that you can, you know, write a check, put some money in there, whatever you're feeling led to do by God. And some people will do that on their phone. You might see people looking like they're texting, but they're probably giving or they're probably, they might be texting. But the whole point is <laughs> you have some options here. But I'm going to ask you to tweak one little thing today. Uh, we're doing these new cards, as we said earlier. And so if you filled out a Connect card at your first time here, we want to ask you to hold on to that card. Make sure you take it out front to guest services Give that to somebody, tell them who you are, get to know us so we can give you a gift bag. But if you're wanting to take a next step, we ask you to fill that out on there, put your info, and walk out with it to the the booth that will be out there on your right as you leave. There's somebody there to interact with you to help you actually take that next step to begin to maybe talk about joining a group or a question you might have or whatever that looks like. We're going to kind of tweak how you interact with that face-to-face today. And so there's all kinds of options, and there's a bunch of stuff I haven't even listed. This is a very free kind of moment to worship, to respond. But let me ask you before you leave, please, let's not deprive ourselves of the presence of God and the power of God for another second. Let's stand and respond together.